Welcome to another episode of On the Issues with Alain Ben-Mir. Today's guest is Stanislav Pozdryak, a cinematographer and filmmaker originally from Ukraine. In this episode, Alan and Stanislav discuss the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Ukraine's needs from the international community, and what could be in store for Ukraine's future after the war. Well, thank, again, I want to thank you so much um, uh, for taking the time. Uh, you are from the Ukraine, obviously, and you're watching what's the horror that's taking place day in and day out. Um, do you have any sense, any sense at this point, where this is going to go? I mean, we are all speculating all kinds of things. But what's your take on it? Like when it's going to end? Well, I, I, I'm not sure how we're going to foresee the end, but where do you think this is, how is it evolving at this point? Um, or if you can predict an end, I would love to hear that. Yeah, it, so it looks like it's getting better because uh, there are many counterattacks now and we are... So when you say better, meaning? Uh, I mean, our our army is winning. So uh-huh. we are destroying Russian army. I know it sounds horrible, but it's unfortunately, or fortunately, these are good news for us when we see new destroyed Russian tanks and planes. So, yeah. Um, so uh, there are many, a few territories that are occupied and there are our armies uh, like fighting there and getting our territories back. And I just received uh, news that a few uh, like locations, a few cities are we have back them like uh, to Ukraine. So these are good news. But the, the only the biggest issue is that Russians are attacking us uh, like civilians with their rockets. We can't do anything about that. But I just saw also news that NATO is going to provide us new weapons, new uh, weapons that we can use to. Uh, you mean air, defense, air defense systems? Yeah, air, air defense systems. Right, right. So, yeah, I like it's hard to say that, but in the long term, I believe this war uh, can be good for our country because we are united as never before. And uh, there is a good reason for us to spend more time on Ukrainian economy, to spend more money on it, to invest more money in Ukraine. I believe... Uh, many businesses will decide after the war to invest money in Ukrainian startups to help to support Ukrainians. And I believe like in five, ten years, we're going to be a better country than we were before. But right now it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. But um, unfortunately, obviously, you're going to need a very significant financial help aid coming from the European community, from the United States. Yeah. I believe the rebuilding. It's going to require billions and billions and billions of dollars. And we hope that the international community will be generous enough uh, to take this matter seriously and hopefully begin that as soon as as humanly possible, this process. Um, You know, the the thing I was observing, which is to me, whereas many, many Ukrainians before the war were more looking at Russia in the more favorable terms. I mean, there is some kind of cultural relationship, family ties, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, history, have shared history. So they were looking at Russia in a more positive light before the war. But after the war, even those hardcore Russian speaking, yeah, I know, have decided this, you know, they came out completely against Russia. Mm-hmm. Now, do you see that a trend now is going to stick with the Ukraine and Given what Russia is doing to the civilian community, the destruction they are inflicting, 
Do you feel that this anti-Russian sentiment is going to continue to prevail even once the war is over? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, he, history repeats itself. And even my grandfather, he was telling my mother that we should hate Russians, that we should do not trust them. When I was a kid, I didn't understand what he was talking about because like, we didn't have any big issues with Russia like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So I didn't understand him, but I now I understand what he's talking about. So unfortunately... This war, it's not the first thing. It's not the first war with Russia for Ukraine. We had many problems with Russia before, during Soviet Union, during World War II, uh, during during Ukrainian genocide. Like they tried to destroy it many times before. So this time is this time is time when we can fight back, and I'm happy that we can fight back. That our nation is ready to fight back and to defend ourselves. So yeah, anti-Russian movement. I, I don't want to call it like anti-Russian. I don't think that most of people will hate Russians because I personally have Russian friends from New York City and they support Ukraine. They support Ukrainians. They go to protest with us and they're nice people. So it's not like we hate everything that is Russian. Uh, and I don't think that it's going to be like racism against Russians. Yeah, some but people will, will hate them, of course, because there are some... But most of people will understand there are some people that... We can believe, we can trust, but unfortunately, there are not many people like this. Yeah, I, I personally, I, I personally make the distinction between the Russian government, you know, led by Putin, and the Russian people themselves. My feeling is that the Russian people are also being victimized because of this war as well. I mean, they are now suffering uh, financial, um, major financial difficulties. The ruble value is, is decreasing day by day. The the losses, obviously, always has not been uh, spoken enough publicly about the massive losses that the Russian military is sustaining in terms of casualties and those who died as well as those who are injured in the in the thousands. Between the two categories, it is tens of thousands. And so the Russian as people are being just as affected adversely by this war. Uh, so, and, and I think your point is well taken. Do you see the Ukrainian in the future uh, the, the, making that distinction? You know, the Russian people are people, that by and large, are decent people. They do not necessarily hate the Ukraine, but the problem the Ukraine has is with the Russian leadership, with Putin in particular. Okay, got it. Uh, no, sorry, I don't agree with that. I think I don't see any Russian victims. Uh, I think that everything is happening is uh, not Putin, not only Putin's fault, but fault of the whole nation because they chose him, they trust him, and they still support him. Not all the people, of course, but most of people, most of seventy percent of Russians still support Putin and what he does. Of course, it's the fault of propaganda because he provides uh, misinformation. But I know personally many people, even in United States, there are some Russians that still support Putin. Even they have access to independent media, they know what is really happening, but they support Putin still. So it's not fault only about of one person. What is happening? But, no, I mean, I definitely don't suggest that all Russians are pro-Ukrainian and all Russians are against Putin. I'm just asking you about your take on the... There is definitely, just like what happened in the Ukraine, uh, those who have felt have some affinity to Russia and have they changed their position because of what the Russians are doing in the Ukraine. But there are also some Russian people. Surely they've been misled by the terrible misinformation that's been 
going on consistently, steadily, uh, all this, all these last four weeks in particular. Uh, but do you do, do you feel there's at least a nucleus? Something has been created in Russia itself within the Russian people that something is terribly wrong. After all, Putin in, in, uh, invaded a peaceful country, no provocation, is totally unjustified, totally is unacceptable, and they are. Are they Russian, Russian people who feel the same, that this was, should not have happened, it could not have happened, but it happened anyway? And how that is going to, what sort of impact that might have in the future on the Russian people, specifically now they are suffering from the horrifying, the, the crippling sanctions. However, you know, that's justified, they may, yeah. of course, but they are suffering from it and they feel the heat, they feel the pain. How did that, how do you feel that's going to translate in a year or two in the bilateral relations with people to people, not as much government to government. It depends when war will end because it may take a few years, it may take a few months, months. It depends what will happen next because Russia can become a new North Korea. It doesn't look like Putin is going to stop doing what he's doing. So we'll see. The problem also is that uh, most of Russian influencers, most of their famous people that left country, they still are they are silent they don't say anything they don't they don't say that we need they need to stop this war they're just silent because they're afraid of their government even they are in other countries mm-hmm. they're afraid to talk that also makes everything is much worse in our ukrainian russian relationship because i personally i have a ticket to russian stand up actually he's not russian he he lives in russia but he's from kazakhstan stand up uh, comedy Uh, in April, but I'm not going to go there because this guy is silent. He doesn't talk about our war and he still um, makes stand-up comedy concerts about Russia and he's going to do it in the United States soon. And this is wrong. This is wrong that they are silent because right now silence is the same thing that support. uh, If you silence, you support your government. If you don't support them, you need to to start talking. There are some people that talk, but most of, like, 98% of Russian influencers, they are silent or they support Putin. Have you had a chance to speak to these type of people who are left Russia, but they're still not criticizing the government regardless of what's happening? Did you have a chance to speak to some of them? I I spoke only to people that don't support Putin. There, I know people that go to protests, to Ukrainian protests, to anti-war protests. They don't don't support Putin, unfortunately, or maybe even fortunately. I don't know personally people that support him. I only heard about them. I only saw different videos on Facebook from people from New York that put they put um, a Z sign. You know Z signs that Russian forces use in Ukraine now. They put a letter Z letter on their uh, tanks. I saw some Russians do the same thing with their cars in New York City. I see. Now, uh, <clears throat> Russia, as you well know, have made many, many claims that is in order for to stop the campaign, the war. Uh, they want a number of things, uh, <clears throat> in particular the, for the Ukraine to commit not to ever join the NATO, which presumably, which I, based on what I hear and see, Zelensky pretty much agreed to keep making it keeping Ukraine as a neutral country. Mm-hmm. But they also like annexation of the east side of the other two provinces. And also they are not prepared to return the um, Crimea back yeah. to the Ukraine. And, and some many others of these now. None of these are, uh, demands are, are correct or right, or certainly not, not moral. 
but the question I mean, I, I wrote a piece yesterday, and I raised this question. The question is, uh, what is, if 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 since certain concession need to be made in order to end the conflict, a, do you support, in principle, first mm-hmm. the concession needs would have to be made in order to spare the life of tens of thousands of more people, in order to spare the more and more destruction, albeit Ukraine now is on, on sort of moving on the winning side. But in the end, if they're going to sit and try to reach some kind of political settlement, there's going to have to be some kind of concessions made by both sides, not mm-hmm. necessarily the, the Ukrainian themselves. What sort of concession, from your perspective, you feel that it can be made by, by the Ukraine and what Russian need to concede as well? As you see it yourself, uh, you mean like something like give back Crimea to Russia officially, or along along the you know you heard about Russia putting yeah, yeah I know about that. I actually had a conversation with a few of my friends about Crimea mm-hmm. and should we give it back to them or something like that. I think that I personally can't give any opinion about that because I'm not. We should ask people in Crimea about that. And we should ask also people that have relatives that died in this war about what they think about the Crimea. Are they ready to give it back or they, what they think about it? Because I personally don't like idea about doing something like that, but I don't think that I need to... It's, I'm not the person who needs to decide in this situation. Well, I'm not, you can't decide, nor can I decide. I'm merely asking your opinion. If that's what it takes to find a political solution, it sounds really wrong because it looks like oh, we, need to give, we need to give something to stop war that is happening without any reason. So it's of course wrong. It's like imagine that somebody come to your house and he says that I will kill your family, but at least I can do not kill everyone, but at least you need to give me your daughter or I need to take your mother. This is the only reason that I will not kill all the other people and you need to give it back. Is it correct? I don't think it's right. Of course, of course it's not correct. Die, but Sorry? But I, I know I fully agree with it. It's, it's correct. It's immoral. It's, it's uh, this is all true. There's no question about it. But I'm saying, in the final analysis, there's got to be some kind of political solution. Even, even, even if the Ukrainian, which I, I hope and pray, they will continue to be on the winning side and push the Russian back. But uh, given the the power between the two sides. Uh, and, and given Putin's determination, uh, yeah. this may continue for a while, and the destruction in the Ukraine is going to be far, even far more extensive as it is today. You know, I'm a political scientist. I always look and, and deal with conflict resolution, and I think in those terms, what is going to take? How do we find this, uh, a political solution that is going to be the least harmful or stop the killing? See, the least harmful albeit it may not be necessarily the perfect solution. That's what I, I come, my, where I come I'm from. I'm sure is there, if there is any political solution, because if you will uh, think about World War II and to think about was there ever any political solution about stopping Hitler, I don't think so. So I think it's a very similar situation to that. Because if even if there will be some political solution and we will stop Putin, it will happen temporarily. This person need to be stopped fully. He need to be destroyed. He need to be killed. That this is when a war will uh, this war will end. This is the only way, unfortunately, because I don't. If even we will like say, okay, we give you some territories or something like that, they will stop. 
but they will um, make new army in a few years and they will attack us again. Well, I mean, it's going, of course, going to, that's going to have to depend on the kind of agreement there is and to what extent it's going to, it has to be binding. Sure. I don't think that any agreement work right now. There are so many agreements that happen and no, not any of them work, unfortunately. So, so you Even can... with the past memorandum, like doesn't doesn't look like it's working. So as, if taking this position, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm merely trying to evoke to have this conversation because um, I, I have taken a certain position. Uh, but then let us assume uh, we, we go your way, mm-hmm. your way. Uh, how do you see this conflict being concluded? What is going to happen? Uh, I think we need more weapons. That was actually happening from NATO side. And we need to destroy all our Russian armies that is in Ukraine now. And after that, I think sanctions will work. And we'll see maybe... Um, th- there are some people saying that Russia will become a few small countries or a few big countries uh, because of... Uh, will say again, I'm sorry. I <laughs> Sorry, I don't know how to say it in English. Um, uh, Russia will become a few small countries. Like it will be separated in a few small countries. Oh, I see. Be divided. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, be divided. Yeah, because of sanctions. It's possible that can. I think it can can happen because of sanctions. It's really hard to have such a huge country with so many territories and to control it as a dictator. I think it's almost impossible. So that is one of the ways that can happen. But we'll see. I'm. I hope they are not going to use any nuclear weapons or something like that because. Then World War Three will start, and I don't know what's going to happen next because there are so many conversation about Poland uh, involving in this war, about Latvia involved in this war, uh, and Belarus. So I have no idea what is going to happen next. Well, I mean, Belarus is already involved, uh, but once any member of NATO gets involved, obviously this is going to drag all of NATO state. Into this, uh, into this, yeah. into this. So, uh, can I ask you a question? What do you, what do you personally think about that? Do you think it's possible that it's NATO will be involved fully? Well, I mean, I personally feel that to the extent that NATO should avoid that, it can should be avoided because, like you said, there's no question this is going to lead uh, to global war, world war. Um, I don't know the extent to which this can be, but it's going to be that. Uh, and my other concern, which you also raised, what is the prospect, what is the possibility that Putin, if he feels his back, is pushed back, back to the corner, and, and uh, the only way he can um, resurrect himself is by using some kind of tactical, tactical nuclear weapon, or chemical weapons, or biological weapons, yes. any weapons of mass destruction. This, of course, could escalate the conflict, and you could end up now major, major war in Europe, which other regions uh, can be also swept in, in, into into that war? So, for, as I see it, I would like to see, I want I would want to see this not to happen. Mm-hmm. So when I say to myself, I don't want this to happen. Okay, I ask myself again. Okay, what are you going to propose instead? How do you want to see this ending? And when I look at the how I want to end it, I'm start to think in terms of in any kind of conflict, the conflicting parties sit down and start to talk about, the, you know, an agreement. And of necessity, they need to make concessions. Yeah, It's not going to go one way or the other. Both sides need to make some concessions. And that's what I'm trying to say here. 
to the what to what extent Ukraine can make a certain concession that it can accept that, and what extent uh, that Russia, Putin, can make this kind of concession. He's 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 stuck right now. He's stuck. Yeah. And sooner or later, I, I, uh, my view is that sooner or later, the Russian people will wake up and ask why this has happened. I mean, they are now living under the cloud of misinformation, day in and day out. They are not being telling the truth. They've been telling lies and more lies and more lies. But, but body, body bags has to come back unless they burn them in place. And they tell me they are still missing in action. But um, some estimates 15,000 soldiers might have been killed. Russian soldier, um, estimated that over 1,000 of heavy equipment, tanks and artillery pieces have been destroyed. And so, yeah. so, so the Russian people will wake up and ask, why did it happen against a country that presumably we have such an affinity to, specifically the Ukraine? Yeah. So that's why I'm, you know, in terms of conflict resolution, I look in terms of what kind of concession both sides need to make. And that's what I thought maybe perhaps, you know, you could shed some more light on this if you agree with the premise that any kind of solution is going to require some form of concession on by both sides, not one side. I don't think that Russia is agree, will be ready to make some concession on their side. This is part of their nature, I think. Well, they like to... They have to very big opinion about their nation. Have you heard about what they're saying about World Two? Like what they they have like like they said we can repeat that. We can make it one one more time. Like once we defeated Germany, we can do it one more time. That's what they say. This is just what people say on streets. Well, I mean, if you want to take a historic um, analogy to this, uh, World War One happened. And uh, at the time, Germany was basically forced to, to, to sign a surrender. They surrender. Yeah. And many analysts, historians and otherwise, suggest that it is that surrender, that humiliation of World War II, instigated, actually, the, the World, War, World War I, instigated what happened with Hitler in World War II. That is, he wanted to reverse that humiliation and mm-hmm. make Germany stand up again, and, and etc. And, and so... If I were to take that that example to what's happening today, to if we were to humiliate completely mm-hmm. um, uh, Putin and force him to get out uh, from from the Ukraine with his tail between his legs, so to speak, just like what happened in Afghanistan, then it's entirely possible he or his successor will try again because they want to erase that humiliation. Yeah, and that's why. Is it not in the interest of the Ukraine to prevent that from happening in order not to repeat the same, the same terrible um, uh, conflict that has taken, that are now witnessing in front of us? Uh, sorry, so w- what is your question? The question is, that is, if you humiliate, let's say, let's say the Ukrainians are able to defeat, to okay. defeat, and let's say that the West, NATO, are also because of the sanctions and because everything is the supply for, of weapon uh, to, to the Ukrainian and eventually Russian is uh, Putin is himself humiliated he's already humiliated he's already feeling the box because he didn't expect this to happen at all mm-hmm. uh, so so if, if the war if the conflict ends with the outright open humiliation of Russia 
humiliation of Putin, it will be only a question of time when he or his successor will try again. That's just like what happened. In oh, Germany. his successor? I don't think so. I think they, um, if it will be possible to humiliate Putin as next successor, there is a huge chance it will be a liberal, liberal, liberal person. I believe in Navalny. I hope that... Um, do you know Alexei Navalny? Yeah. Yeah, I hope that he can become a really good president for Russia and he can change everything. He's in prison now and hope this is uh, Navalny is the future of Russia. I can see bright future in that country with this guy. Yeah, but, be new, a new, pres- a new, new person, new president in Russia, everything can change. But, uh, but if you look at Russian history, uh, I don't think there's any point in time but it's, it's it's going to be really difficult because there are so many people around so many people in government everywhere that are so used to uh to corruption and uh, to making money on people's lives and just uh, so many criminals in government everywhere so it's not gonna happen not it's not gonna become a better country just in a few years it's gonna take you at least 10 years or something maybe a few civil wars in in russia during this period but you know again many analysts suggest that the collapse of the soviet union i mean one of the uh hang-ups one of the things that is possessing putin himself Mm -hmm. is the the collapse of the soviet union and his uh, ego and his desire to restore elements, if not the uh, whole Russian empire. So since World War II, in, in spite of the fact that uh, the Allies fought side by side the Russian, there was really never no, no, loss, no love lost between Russia and the West. Not since, not today, and most likely not, not in the future either. That is, Russians see themselves completely separate from, from the West. And I don't think, I mean, you might think that the a new prime minister, a new president who will be more amenable to the West and have better relationship. But do you think that is really possible under the circumstances that we are now, but which have been uh, being unfolded in front of our eyes, and considering on top of this Russian history and its relation to the West, it does not indicate to me that something is going to necessarily change such in a dramatic way in the future. Yeah, you know, this is a very good point, right? This is a very good point from you. Like, if you will check Russian history, it always was like this. Yeah. <laughs> Even 100 years ago. With, uh, with Lenin, Stalin, and just before they had a king before that. So, uh, Tsar. So, it was always like this. They always had uh, imperialistic dreams about become be a huge empire and to control everything around them. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I would like to speak a little bit about your work today. Uh, My work? Oh, okay. That's actually... Because I know you're, you're, you're in the uh, produced documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear a little bit more about the documentaries you're working on um, and, and um, take it from there a little bit. Yeah, I'm working on a documentary called uh, Tale of the American Dream. It's about people coming to America to achieve their goals, achieve their dreams. I'm also filming some Americans living here and that are planning to achieve some goals here and I want to answer the question is this a country of opportunities is it does this country really provide uh, big opportunities for people living here so yeah and I also want to show some problems um, of black community of women in this country of different kind of people in the United States do they have 
uh, equal opportunities here. That's what I'm working now. Right now, I'm looking also for. I want to show more Ukrainians in this movie. Right now, I have different people from Africa, from Russia, from India, from different countries. But unfortunately, I haven't filmed Ukrainians so far. So I'm going to do that now. <laughs> and, and do you think? And do you do you feel that America's, um, you know, it's the the land of opportunity still? Yeah, and I is can. To whom is it? Is it land of opportunity to everybody? Uh, or it has changed somewhat, specifically since the rise of, um, I hate to call him president, since uh, uh, Trump. Oh, Do you still America is seen by the world, by the outside world, as the land uh, of the opportunity? I know many, many millions and millions would like still to come to the United States. But you doing that documentary, are you? what are you coming across in this particular area? So the main reason why I started this documentary because I moved to the United States two years ago, uh, just before COVID started. And I was during COVID, I was able to make money to find enough work for myself. Even my English was really bad. It was much worse than it is now. And I, w- I was still able to find enough work to pay for my rent, to buy a car. Right now I'm making really good money, much more than I was able to make in my country. And I'm also able to help people in Ukraine because I have a video production company in Ukraine that provides uh, editing, video editing services to American video production companies. I have 25 employees in countries that are still able to make money for their families because they're working with American video production companies. So the reason why I started this documentary is because I personally saw that there are so many opportunities here, but I meet so many young Americans around that they think opposite. They think this country is bad, like there are so many wrong things happening. And I personally don't agree with them. Most of America, young Americans that I meet, they don't think that America is a country of opportunities. They, they haven't been abroad. They haven't been in any, any other countries. They just can't compare. They don't know what it's like to live uh, with $500 salary, with $300 salary. My first salary was $100 uh, on the oh, national television uh, in my city. <laughs> and I know what it's like to live when you have like... And and I and I know what it's like to live when you more, make more than five thousand dollars, more than ten thousand dollars in in United States. Even even you need to pay taxes. Even everything is more expensive here. I'm able to buy more things. I'm able. To, I'm have more options to travel. I have more options to buy better equipment for myself. And I'm also able to help people in Ukraine now. I'm so I believe that this country is like is a good country. Of course, there are some problems, but our problems are everywhere. So, so from there, as you see, it, the American dream is still um, well and alive. Uh, uh, but is it is it is the is the, uh, the opportunities is it being taken? Is it available to everyone who seek it, or or is it is that, for example, the United States um, limits yeah. immigrants coming from the Middle East, or limits the immigrants coming from South America, but it's probably it's more open. Even the current administration, not Trump, yeah. more open to to immigrants coming from European countries. In fact, Trump himself said, "Why can't we get immigrants coming from Sweden? Why do we have to get them all from South America? I'm Mexican or Muslim, etc., etc." So there is a distinction in. I mean, in the United States, there is that clear distinction. We, have, we prefer to the the opportunities being given more to people white white people yeah than than uh, brown or black for that matter 
So it's really hard for me. Coming that, are you are you looking into that as well in your documentary? Yes, that's actually what I'm what I'm trying to show. I, I one of the focuses in my documentary is about black community and people from Africa coming here. Like I'm asking them questions about what do they think about the United States. Most of people that I interviewed so far, they have different opinions than me. They say that it's much more harder to achieve goals here for a black community. Um, I'm not sure if I agree with them right now. I need to ask more people about that and I need to see their uh, what they think about that. Because like, for me, it's hard to answer this question because I personally, I'm a white man. Like I'm, the, I'm not the minority in this situation. Of course, I'm immigrant. I don't speak uh, English like fluently with Americans. When they speak to me, they understand that I'm immigrant, that I came from a different country, but I'm still a white man. So, is, is this a good for me or not? I'm not sure right now because I can't compare in this situation. But I'm looking for more, um, uh, like Indian, African, uh, uh, Black American people that uh, achieve their goals here, and to show their stories too. Was it hard for them? Why was it hard for them? And I also want to show some uh, advices for other people coming here how they can achieve their goals. If it's really problematic, I think there is always a way how you can achieve your goal. But for some people, of course, it may be harder than from uh, for others. Like for me personally, it was harder because I moved here two years ago. I didn't know anyone. My English was bad. And like I was here officially, of course, because I had a green card. But still, it I needed to do everything from zero with no money, with nothing. Like right. people living here have more options to do something because they're citizens. They can officially work. Uh, they can they have some background and I, I, I so you yourself. Um, other than, of course, you came with nothing and you're building everything from scratch, from the ground, ground up. Have you encountered any difficulty or problem being initially being a foreigner when you came to the country or, or you were accepted only because you are white and you're basically accepted without much resistance? Did, did, did you experience any difficulties in trying to uh, mingle with, with white Americans? No, never. Uh, honestly, half of my clients are Black Americans. It's I don't know how it happened. It just happened accidentally. But I have really many uh, Black uh, Black American clients that are business owner, Black business owner. Uh, business owner, yeah. Business when owner. you say client, what do you mean by client? Uh, businesses. I provide video production some uh, comp- uh, services, like I create commercial videos for uh, businesses in Philadelphia, New York. Oh, I see. And that's what you do for for a living. Yeah, that's what that's I do. Point. I see, I see. And you're doing well in, this, in that regard. Yeah, how many clients? Most of my clients are Americans, and I uh-huh. think at least 30 or 40% of them are Black Americans. Uh, usually I work with young, uh, honestly, with different companies. I work with real estate companies, I work with law companies, work with clothing companies. So uh-huh. most of them need uh, different videos to promote their services in social media, on, on their websites, on YouTube, on TV. So I create different stuff. Because I have been doing this for 10 years, I have experience working on different videos, starting from documentaries, because I'm working on documentary, you know, but I also know how to make a good social media ad to sell some products. Uh, um, anyway, perhaps I'll ask you just one final question. Um, we go just back to, first of all, I want to wish you the best of luck with your work. And uh, obviously, 
you're doing a great work, otherwise you will not have this many clients, <laughs> so to speak, you know. Uh, one, one, one question, um, how would you like, uh, what would be your vision, uh, given the circumstances, to see this uh, horrifying war ending? Uh, how, would, how, how would you like to see the, uh, yeah. this, the conclusion? I would like to end it as, as fast as possible, of course, because uh, it's really stressful to see people dying every day, especially young people, especially kids. There are so many kids who died so far. I'm a young father, and it's really hard to see from to, to all these pictures because I per, there are some people died that I personally knew them. So so far, even even I'm from my 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 hometown Chernivtsi is really far from uh, Kiev, from eastern Ukraine. It's in western Ukraine, really far. There are some people that uh, died I knew personally. So I want this war to end as fast as possible. And I see that my country, Ukraine, will grow really fast after that because people are united. Of course, we will have some different problems, but I personally want to do everything I can to grow economy and to make it great in Ukraine uh, after the war. Because... I run a video production company. I have employees in Ukraine and we are planning to hire even more people because we need to provide salaries to provide work to more Ukrainians right now because we work with video Americans. So we, uh, and everything is good in the United States. Now, right now they are ready to work, to continue work with us. And we are looking for more work to provide more uh, jobs to Ukrainians. Terrific. Well, you know, thank you so much. I think it's what you're doing is admirable. Um, and I, I know that they need it. And um, I truly, truly appreciate you taking the time. Um, and I hope and I wish you, as, as in a personal, I wish you the best. And needless to say, I wish the Ukrainian the, the best. Um, and hopefully, like you said, this war comes to an end sooner than later to spare the life, even if we spare the life of a single, one single child. Then, then every effort ought to be made in that direction. Again, I'm very grateful to you for taking this. Thank time. you. It was an honor for me. Thank you so much. Take good care. All the best to you. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page. And stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.